Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Anthony Toth, and he is the co-founder and managing partner of Dynasty Investments and has more than a decade of experience, knowledge, and expertise in the commercial real estate industry. He has experience directing the performance of a portfolio consisting of more than 4,000 multifamily apartment units, along with a separate portfolio of approximately 2.5 million square feet of commercial office and retail space throughout the United States. So Anthony's here to share a little bit about his journey, where he's at, and some pretty cool stuff that he's working on currently. So Anthony, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be on the show. Anthony, can you share with us a little bit more about your background and how did you get into the world of real estate? Sure, sure. No, I'd be happy to. So I'm originally from Cleveland, Ohio, and I was one of those Ohio people that kind of hopped the border and went over to the University of Michigan, which is in rivalry territory. I went to Michigan. I I was a student athlete, so I played baseball at the University of Michigan. And that kind of was what I thought I was going to be doing after school, was actually playing professional sports and had a career-ending injury that happened abruptly. And I had to figure out very quickly what I was going to do to make money frankly. And I interviewed at a real estate property management and investment company in Ann Arbor that at the time was one of the country's largest property management firm. And they had a bread and butter that was overseeing uh, portfolios of receivership assets. So you're talking no money, bank already took them back. And that's really where I cut my teeth was overseeing a group of property management team and the asset management for these receivership assets. And that's the 4,000 multifamily units in a portfolio and two and a half million square feet multi-tenant office and retail that you alluded to. And that's really from going with almost no knowledge of commercial real estate to that being kind of my first job out of school. It was absolutely, it was sink or swim, right? It was, I didn't know anything and we had to figure it out. And thankfully I did. And it, it allowed me to kind of establish this, this baseline of knowledge at the very foundational level of property management and learning how all these different asset classes function and work on a daily basis. And from there, I did that for four or five years. And then I became a partner at a private equity shop in Ann Arbor. And we were backed by 400 credit investors. And I oversaw the operations of our main investment funds from acquisitions, dispositions, building the property management team, development projects. And that's really where kind of the passion for investing in real estate really began. And I knew it once getting into the kind of the private equity and syndication world that this is what I wanted to do on my own one day. And thankfully, we created Dynasty Investment Partners in early 2021. And that's where everything started to building our own portfolio. And in the first year, year and a half of our company, we've amassed $28 million portfolio of primarily long-term rental multifamily units. And we've recently gotten into the short-term rental game we really like that business model because of the cash flow we can produce. And that's where we see kind of our more short-term future for the next 12 to 24 months is really hitting that short-term rental market pretty hard. So going back to when you were playing uh, sports in college and 
you were going down a path where your expectation was to become a professional athlete after that. And then after you got that injury, it all kind of came to a halt. You had to figure out another path to go down. I can't even imagine what the mental state was at that time. Yeah, it was heartbreaking. It really was. The injury happened two weeks before the Major League Baseball draft my senior year. Just pretty sudden. I was obviously a wreck. My parents who sacrificed and invested so much time into you know, my playing career all my life, they were heartbroken. We were all kind of just, yeah, it was something else. But hey, you got to pick yourself up. And that's what we did. And, and looking back at it, that life of minor league baseball is not what I was cut out for anyway. So it's a blessing in disguise. And I got to get my commercial real estate career jump started and worked out okay. So after you realize that you couldn't go down that path anymore of becoming a professional athlete, you had to figure out another path for yourself. How did you end up in property management? How did you choose that that was where you wanted to go or for your first role at least? Sure. So I think that most of us that are listening to the podcast and yourself that that went to college kind of had this from renting houses or apartments that had been owned by one person for 30 years and they were probably debt free. And here are these college kids who them or their parents are forking over six to $800 a month, a bedroom kind of just got the wheels turning of, man, well, if I just owned these and had my teammates or whoever pay me, that would be pretty nice. And that's kind of where the taste for real estate kind of began was in in college when I had to cut monthly rental checks to a landlord. And it just kind of organically grew from there. When baseball was done, I went and shadowed a former student athlete at Michigan, a, a former soccer player who was a vice president at the at the company that, that I first got a job with out of school. And it went great. He was commercial real estate focused. And it was quickly kind of decided for me that, okay, this is very interesting. I might want to pursue this. And towards the end of the day, after I shadowed him, he mentioned, he's like, hey, we're interviewing for an asset management role. It's We're looking for five to seven years of experience, but you've never interviewed before. Why don't you just, I'll get you an interview, you practice your interview skills. Sure. No problem. I can practice my interview skills. And they gave me the job. So you want to talk about when I say sink or swim, I mean, sink or swim. I had to figure it out really, really fast. What do you think attributed to your success in that interview to get into a role that was looking for five to seven years of experience? Yeah, I think a lot of it, and this is as our company begins to scale, it's kind of the same mantra and mindset. We look for to hire people, not necessarily just a job description. And I think that a lot of the skills that I learned through team sports growing up, the leadership skills, time management, and being able to work efficiently, that competitive drive to just do things very, very well at a high level, just I think that's just kind of resonates with me. I think it just like is oozing from my pores that that's just some characteristics that I just have ingrained in me. And I think people can tell that's what I'm all about when they meet me and sit down and get to talk to me. And I, I really don't know. I wish I could go back and ask the question to the person that actually hired me, like, why? What were you thinking? But I don't even know where that person is anymore. It's interesting because you can teach the skills needed to be successful in a role. Yes. 
but right. the drive and the like the time management and all the things that you had built up over the course of your lifetime that you can't really teach as you get into that new role like that is what's important as you're looking to bring on new people because you mentioned it just right it's about the people that you're working with and can they help you get to that next level can you work well with them and do they have the skill sets necessary to learn those technical skills Without a doubt. You're absolutely right. It's for us, it's better to hire the people, right? Put the track down in front of them to let them progress on the career path that they want to go down. If you have the right people, right? Whatever they decide is is what they're most passionate about or what they're best at and what they enjoy. You know, as long as you have the people are the asset, right? So you can put them into whatever role that they feel is best for them if they're passionate about it and if they're the right people for your organization. So so then you started off working at that property management company, then you moved on to becoming working as a partner in the private equity firm. That was a pretty quick transition because it took you only four years from going from that first role into the partner role. What was the biggest attribute to being able to jump quickly into this type of role? I think it was going back to that drive, right? It was this... I. Always, I was never the most gifted athlete. I never had the most skill. I had to grind and work at it, right? And a lot of that mindset was just kind of proving myself. And I think I did that. My first job out of school is I didn't want to fail, right? You learn from your failures and just make sure you don't make those same mistakes again. But it was a lot of just luckily I got into a career that I was passionate about and I loved. I still love it. I eat, sleep, and breathe real estate. That's what I do. And I wanted to learn everything that I could about it as quickly as I could. So whether it was blogs or documentaries or books that I was reading, I was doing that in my off time. I, I just soaked every piece of information in to where I was able to learn a lot of the back-end knowledge, but then I got really good experience those first four or five years out of school, like really good entrenched in the industry that allowed me to kind of make that jump into being a partner and running kind of the operations of the uh, private equity firm. But I think you and I, and most people can agree, like real estate, while it can be complicated, it's not rocket science. You can figure it out. So a lot of it was just that drive to just prove myself worthy, really. So fast forward to when you decided to create Dynasty, what was, you started off in multifamily, built it up to $20 million. And then tell us about what was the drive behind starting that? What was the vision? And then where are you today? Sure. I've always liked multifamily. It's always been my favorite asset class. I think that's been proven Right. We can agree on that. That's been proven one of the most sound pieces of real estate investment throughout history, right? There's such a housing crisis, affordable housing crisis, a shortage of homes that exist in our country. And multifamily has always proven to be that more affordable option for living. So it's always made sense. That's always been my favorite asset class. So that was something that I started Dynasty Investment Partners that we wanted to focus on. We wanted to provide our investors with truly passive investment opportunities for them to earn double-digit returns on their money by investing in multifamily real estate. And we hit the ground running. Our first acquisition was 62 units. Our second was 72 units and 9,000 square feet of retail. So our portfolio went from zero to 136 units pretty darn quickly, 134 units, sorry. And then with rising interest rate environments and kind of seller expectations not coming in line with those rising interest rates, it's gotten tough to do traditional multifamily deals. They're out there. They're just hard, tougher to come by. 
And we've taken that same business model of investing into long-term multifamily and we've acquired eight short-term rental units and we're doing really well with them. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. So the short-term rental space, when you decided to make that shift between multifamily into short-term rentals, did you look in the same markets or how did you initially first decide on which markets you're going to focus on for the short-term? Yeah, that's a great question. So our first acquisition for short-term rentals was in Detroit. That's where we're based. 95% of our portfolio is here in Detroit. And The reason we focus on short-term rentals in Detroit is there is such a need for hotels, like a crazy need for hotels here in Detroit. In 2024, downtown Detroit's hosting the NFL draft. And as soon as that was announced about 10 months ago, everyone started freaking out because it's like, whoa, where's everybody going to stay? I think there was an article that we had to go 20, 25 mile radius outside of the city center in order, including your crappy hotels in order to meet the demand of how many people are going to be here in 2024. And now we have a lot more development, but there was absolutely that need for people coming and visiting the city because Detroit is a place that even on travel and leisure is one of the top places to visit in 2023. It's not the Detroit of old. And we have a ton of business travelers that are here during the week that need more than just a hotel room to stay in. So there's this huge need for short-term stays. And we acquired a six-unit apartment building that we're using all six units for short-term rentals in a great area of Detroit. And if you look at at the cash-on-cash return from an investor standpoint, it's okay, we could rent these units out for $2,200 a month on a 12-month lease and provide some of that security that someone's going to be there for a while. Or we can run this thing as a short-term rental and we could produce close to 5 k a month. Which one are we going to do? Are we going to give our investors a 6% cash-on-cash return or do we want to shoot for close to 20 Let's go for 20. And we learned that business very quickly. We love how much tech and software is behind it. It allows us to be very, very efficient and run very lean. And it's been that led us to Florida. We have a portfolio of short-term rentals in Florida. And we think that there's a huge opportunity in the markets that we're in down there. So because you don't just focus on the average short-term rental space. Your niche is more of the high-end luxury short-term rental space. What makes it more high-end and luxury than common average rental? Sure. Our Detroit stuff very, very much is more middle of the road. It's 180 to 220 bucks a night. The luxury stuff in Florida, these are multi-million dollar homes, anywhere from 1.6 to $2.5 $2.5 million homes that five, six bedrooms, they sleep 12 to 20 people. And this area where we're invested in is along Highway 30A, which if 
those listening haven't heard of it, Scenic Highway 30A is this two-lane road that basically connects Destin, Florida on the panhandle to almost Panama City. It just hugs the Gulf of Mexico and all of these very high-end beach towns have popped up along 30A since starting back in 2007, eight is when all these towns started to be constructed. And primarily 70 plus percent of the people that vacation there have their second homes there are the upper middle class and upper class from a lot of the Southern states, Georgia, Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi. And the word isn't quite out yet for the rest of the country. So we're really excited being from the Midwest to kind of pull the market from where we live to introduce them to what is 30A, because we think that we can just double, triple our renter pool instead of just focusing in the Southern states. So it is your consummate family vacation destination on steroids. This isn't rowdy bars and restaurants close at 10 and 11 a.m. There's kids running everywhere on bike. It's just an amazing, amazing place. And one of those where you know, we're even offering as part of our investment to investors a week stay a year just so they can get down there to see why we're so excited about the market. So we need another podcast for me to to really pitch why we're down there. So when you're looking for the properties that to purchase and putting out for short-term rentals, what are some of the, I guess, core aspects that you typically look for to determine whether or not this property is going to generate the returns that you're expecting? Sure. Good question. We figured out that four or five bedroom homes are kind of the sweet spot. Those purchase prices compared to what those average daily rates are. In Detroit and Florida? In Florida. In Florida. Florida, Specifically in Florida, it's four or five bedroom homes. We can't get the numbers to work on three bedroom homes. And then the price point for seven, eight bedroom homes is just, it's too out of whack for what the going rental rates are. So that's a lot of market resource and understanding that market. We'd use a lot of different software systems for that and just being down there ingrained in the market as well, talking to our brokers and different network of people down there. And then what we found is this is primarily a second home market for those people that live in the South. So the data that's there for rental projections just isn't exactly accurate for what we're trying to do. And the reason I say that is because these are folks' second homes, they're using these homes a lot. So they might rent out the home for 50% of the year, but then they're using it for a huge chunk of time during the summer when it's peak high revenue season. And we're not trying to do that. So it's been a big challenge with us going down there talking, originally thinking that we were going to hire property management teams to say, no, guys, we are not using these. This is jack occupancy, jack rates maximize return. And we think that that's a huge opportunity down there because there's not a lot of pure investors along 30A that are really attacking the market as a true investment market like we are. And we think that puts us at a big advantage over other folks trying to invest down there. So you mentioned that you've taken the multifamily syndication structure and applied it to the short-term rental space. What kind of structure does that typically look like for investors? Is it very similar or can you share a little bit about what that looks like? Yeah, it's exactly the same. So we're the GPs. We raise limited partner equity from accredited investors and we go get commercial debt. So we're getting commercial mortgage product on single family residential home. And the reason we do that, you'll understand this, is if we were to get a residential loan, anybody that's an owner 
even if it's 5% of that limited liability company has to sign on the dotted line for that loan. We don't have to do that with a commercial product. So one of our big values to our investors, right, is, hey, you can invest passively in a real estate deal and have no recourse. There's zero recourse. We're on the hook for this debt. So that probably the biggest similarity to single family, luxury single family homes to commercial real estate is we're using the same type of lending. And then everything else just falls into place. The rest of the equity and expense reserves and any type of improvement is limited partner equity. And we structure everything very similar. Our investors have a anywhere between a 6 and 8% preferred return. And then their share on the upside is split 70-30, 70% in favor of the investors. It's exactly the same as what we do for our commercial term multifamily assets. So when they're investing in these properties, are they investing in a single property? So we have a portfolio of homes down there. So there, our investors are invested in the portfolio. So they have percentage ownership over multiple homes. And if we are to add to that portfolio, which we plan on doing, you know, every home that's added, they'll have their proportionate share of ownership over however many homes end up in that portfolio. So without putting any more capital in, right? They'll certainly have the opportunity to put more capital in if they want to, but not necessarily. They could own, they could have put an investment in when this portfolio is two homes and not put another dollar in and have a proportionate share of 10 homes by the time it's all said and done. So what's next for you and Dynasty? Are you looking to double down in the short-term rental space, expand? Yeah, we're going to double down here within the next 12 to 24 months. We think that the short-term rental space is still by a lot of institutional investors still viewed as kind of this redheaded stepchild, right? It's not a real (laughs) asset class. Anybody can do it. And with a lot of the regulation that's sweeping the country for limiting the use of short-term rentals, a lot of folks are kind of scared and hesitant to continue on acquiring short-term rentals. And to us, regulation is a good thing. Because if there's regulation, it means that, hey, this asset class and this investment is legitimate and people are starting to recognize. So we still think we're in the second inning of, to use a baseball reference, the second inning of short-term rentals as being a key investment and a recognizable asset class. And I think that the opportunities because of the cash-on-cash returns that we can produce from these things will help offset somewhat the rising interest rate environment and allow us to be more aggressive compared to more traditional long-term multifamily that we're used to looking at. But I think there's just going to be more and more opportunities in the short-term rental game. And Anthony, how has real estate investing impacted your life? Man, going from a W-2 employee, punch and clock, even though it was real estate and I loved it, to being able to now create my own portfolio. My wife now works with us in our company. So she was a teacher for 12 years and resigned just last school year. And she's working with us and my business partner now. The freedom that it creates for all of us is just, you can't compare it to anything else. We have two little girls and we walk or drop them off, walk them to and pick them up from school every single day. We're not missing out on any of their events. If we want to, we can work and do our job from just about anywhere. And now we're in Florida, which isn't a terrible place to go being from Detroit in February and March. So we can scoop them up and take them down there on their midwinter break. It's just this freedom, this flexibility you just can't compare it to anything. It just, it makes life so much easier and happier. And then being able to do what I love and help other people grow their wealth and create wealth, the same generational wealth that we all want for ourselves is just what makes me happy. And if there's one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? 
oh, when I first started, I'm going to go on a, a little bit of a tangent here. So the biggest thing that I wish I knew five, six years ago was to just jump in and, and do it, right? I think there's a lot of folks that listen to your podcast that are experienced enough to go do this on their own. There's only so many podcasts we can listen to, so many books that we can read, but experience is king. And there's once you have a foundation of knowledge, it's time to go in and do it. Find that first hard money lender or network the heck out of yourself to find that first opportunity, that first person to partner with and go do it. Because I think that a lot of us don't give ourselves the credit of how capable we are until we actually do it. And then you're a $20 million portfolio later and you look over both shoulders and say, how did I get here? And why didn't I start this five, 10 years ago? Because imagine where I'd be today. So my advice is do it. Just get in there, jump in and do it. And the experience you'll gain, you can't put a price on that. And if there's one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate, what would that be? Transparency, without a doubt. Right. I think that especially in commercial real estate, I'm a commercial broker and I've been in that world too. And it's a snaky game and it can be. <laughs> and I think that the most successful people that I've ever been around, especially when it comes to syndicating deals, is that transparency. Even if something's going sideways, right? Be honest with your investors, be transparent, tell the whole story. There's no sugarcoating anything. There should never be any type of, of feeling from an investor that these guys aren't being upfront and truthful. And I think that those folks that I've been around that aren't transparent are the ones that always get into trouble. And that's one of our goals. And our mantra is to be the most trusted real estate investment firm on the planet. And we can't do that without being fully transparent to our investors. And Anthony, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing? Sure. So certainly visit our website, investdynasty.com. We're also heavy on social media. My handle on Instagram is atoast723. Same thing on TikTok. I think that social media right now is probably the best way to find us. Awesome. Thank you so much for all of your time today, Anthony. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.